There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to this week's episode of the Mum and Mama podcast, brought to you as always by the lovely Golding Accountancy, wearegolding.com. How are you? I'm good. Um, I'm finding life with a puppy very hard. Um, I'm not enjoying it at all, and <laughs> I'm deeply regretting the decision to get a dog. I was just speaking to my friend, who's one of the funniest people I in the world, actually, and um, he was just saying about how the fact that she's so big is uh, is not helping, and is asking me why I chose to get a large dog when I've never had a dog before, and um, I've got a really small house. <laughs> But I know it will get better. I keep meeting... You meet so many people when you have dogs. It's so lovely. People just talk to you and you just get into conversations. I suppose it's like when you first have kids and you go to the baby groups. But um, So that is lovely. But everyone I'm speaking to is, you know, just like you finding it hard. And I mean, by all accounts, Dolly's not actually that bad. Um, I think a lot of other people have a lot more problems. So I'm going to try and count my blessings. But... It's just, as a single working parent, having something else to look after who encroaches on your working time, it, I just don't know why I thought it would be a good idea. Um, I did it for the kids, obviously, but uh, they, they're they all like five for five minutes and they get bored and want to do something else, don't they? It's just like, and I know all this, and I still did it. <laughs> but anyway, I'm going to stop moaning. She is lovely, really. I'm just like, oh, anyway, anyway, this week on the podcast, I have a very wonderful woman on who, I, it was a privilege when she sat down and shared her story with me because I didn't really know, my, she's a friend of a friend, basically, and my friend was like, you've got to get her on the podcast because she's, she's in recovery and she's also, um, come out very recently uh, as gay, even though she's been in heterosexual relationships her whole life and has a daughter. Um, it's all it's all quite new. She's kind of come out as, as being um, a lesbian. So I was like, oh, brilliant. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm interested to find out about that. But I wasn't really prepared 
for all the other stuff she was going to tell me. Um, so it, I love finding out about people, but it is I do feel very honoured when people are honest with me. Um, so I thank you, Claire, for sharing so much. And there's so much in this podcast. I've put it into two episodes. It does contain some triggering discussions um, about abuse, sexual abuse, and well, drug abuse. So there is there's quite a lot in it, but it's a very it's a nice conversation. It's not um it's not upsetting. It's just quite hard to listen to some of it. But yeah, she's she's wicked, Claire. Uh, it's got some really interesting reveals as well about her family history. It was just amazing. So I do hope you enjoy it. It's one of my favourite chats so far. If you want to get in touch about anything that we discuss in the episode, then please do. But I'll let you get on with it and enjoy part one. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or Zepbound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Work. Work. What, what do you go by? Claire. For Claire. Yeah. What do you do? What do you do for a day job? Um, I am currently, I'm a project manager, so I'm working as a contractor, um, on a freelance basis. So I'm working at a university. Oh, nice. Implementing a project, like a software project for them. Yeah. I've got about 12 weeks left till we go live. It's bonkers. Okay. And I work on a freelance basis and then what I like to do is then take time out. Yes. Um, and what I'm doing also on the side of that is building a coaching business. Yeah. So using my own experience of being in recovery and then, you know, the work that I've done on myself and trying to support other women. So naturally at the moment I'm supporting other women in recovery processes. Yeah. And I want to branch out. Yeah, exactly. So So what did you do the twelve steps? Yeah. Well I'm do you're always in a process of doing it. Yeah. Um 
So yeah, I sponsor women and then what I want to do is almost leverage that understanding and experience because 12 steps aren't for everybody. Yeah, yeah. It's one way to do it and yeah. obviously you can go to a 12-step fellowship and you can get it all for free. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, but also what I've realised is you sometimes need outside help. Yeah. You know, um, and I've had quite a lot of coaching myself and I've benefited from it. Because there's just something really beautiful about bringing it outside of the 12 steps and doing other types of work. Yeah. So, yeah. So, what I'm trying to do is build that up at the moment. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm challenged because I'm learning how do I balance work yeah. and not get consumed by it because I'm naturally kind of a workaholic. Yeah. Because I love any holics. Yeah, I'm on it. <laughs> and then... Um, and then building that up as well. So I'm just trying to, lots of exercises around boundaries at the moment. It's really yes. hard. Yeah, I'm finding it really hard to put myself first. I'm learning to put yeah. myself first. I think that's training. true of a lot of women. Yeah. Because <clears throat> I, I think we're just kind of brought up believing that our role is to always look after other people, isn't it, really? Mm. Which I like looking after people. Yes. Because it's, it's weird, isn't it? Because sometimes it's, we're told that we need to be less not less caring but i suppose we there's more to life than just being a mum or whatever but yeah. i fucking love being a mum yeah i love it and i don't yeah. and i like looking after people and i like being caring yes but equally it's really disturbing how little of that i put into my own being yes absolutely and how that's never really yeah. been brought to my attention until i started getting coached yeah a year ago i think now and just hearing how the way that you think about yourself, like completely turning it on its head and questioning why you thought like that in the first place and why I've been kind of punishing myself yeah. for so many years. It's so fucked up. It's like, why did we not <laughs> learn this in school? Oh, because then you would be breaking the system. That's not how everyone wants it. Yeah. Don't get me started on that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, well, of course, we're conditioned by the patriarchy to... Yeah be performative as women in a role that suits the patriarchy and not care for ourselves and put our own needs first. Yep. That's the baseline of it, isn't it? 100%. Well, there's not as much money. Unless we're feeling bad about ourselves, we're not going to spend as much money, I guess, are we, on no. crap? But... So, yeah. yeah, definitely I'm conditioned into, yeah, being that caregiver. Yeah. But I've learned, I think part of going into recovery... That's where I started to see the patterns and yeah. how, how bad they were for me. And actually how harmful they can be to other people as well. Yeah. You know, my enabling and my caretaking is just as damaging to yeah. other people as it yeah. is to me. I don't give people the opportunity to step up. Yeah. Um, you know, I constantly perpetuate patterns in all of my relationships. It's toxic. Yeah. And I haven't got time for that these yeah. days. Yeah, that's true, isn't yeah. it? Because you feel like even though you're helping people, actually, you're helping them carry on. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're literally enabling people. Yeah. And, like, you know, I've been in recovery for 10 years, so it's like I'm in my wow. 11th year, and it's, like, still there. It's still, it's in my core. I have to consciously work at it every day. Really? Yeah. Like, these things don't change. They're in our blueprint, you know, like, yeah. literally the conditioning's there from day one. So it's like, but the awareness is everything. As soon as I get the awareness, then I can do something about it. And yeah. so, you know, but I am willing to put in the work. Do you know what I mean? Always yeah. willing. Um, sometimes, though, I do just think, oh, 
oh, it'd be so nice to just be blissfully ignorantly pissed again. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and not be like having to do the work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is a constant. It's constant. Isn't yeah, it? it's effort. Yeah. But then that's life, though, isn't it, really? Life yeah. Is, always, it is. As soon as you get up in the morning, there's something you've got to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's in my nature to go deep as well. I don't know. I'm like a Pisces with like. Scorpio rising, Scorpio moon, you know, so I'm all about the water and the feelings and the deepness. And, you know, for me, I can't not do it. I can't not delve in and look at who I am. It's like my whole life's been like this kind of iterative process of discovery and reinventing myself. Like when I look back over the years, I see all these different versions of myself. I'm a constantly sort of metamorphosizing myself into yeah. a new being. And I love that about myself. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like everything's constantly changing. That's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. Yeah. So it's part of that is understanding what makes us tick, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So where did you grow up? So I grew up in Dagenham. And see, my head goes, oh, don't tell people you grew up in Dagenham. <laughs> <laughs> so I grew up in Dagenham um, and... Yeah, at one point I used to go, oh no, it was Good Maze. But it wasn't. My address was Dagenham. So I grew up in Dagenham. Um, my mum was from sort of South East London. My dad was from East London. Um, and then my mum had been sort of shipped out to East London. I think in the, well, it would have been late 60s. Yeah. And um, yeah, from like Bermondsey or wherever. And uh, thought it was like the countryside because yeah. she went to live on Beckentry Avenue. Oh. Yeah. I thought she was going to see cows because she'd never seen that much grass oh, really? and trees. Yeah, <laughs> bless her. So, um, yeah, and then, like, my auntie kept that house and then we got a house literally around the corner. It was, like, you know, traditional kind of working-class English setup that yeah, you would expect, yeah. like, families living around the corner in identical houses on different streets, council yeah. houses. Um, and my mum raised three of us single-handedly, really. My dad... He disappeared when I was six and then oh, wow. was pretty absent, like, yeah. and was a, not a good dad. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, my mum raised three girls. Like, she had three of us by the time she was 24. Fuck, really? Yeah, like, incredible. Wow. Yeah. What's the age difference between you? Three years between each of us, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So she had me at, what, 18. But, yeah, she had my other oh. sister at 21 on her 21st birthday. Bless us. They share a birthday. And then she had my youngest sister at 24. Wow. Mm. Yeah, wow. crazy. And then she did her utmost to raise us and yeah. have a life. Like, I mean, great role modelling. Yeah. But not easy to be a child in that situation. Yeah. Single parent fighting really on the breadline most of the time. Yeah. Did she work? She tried to, yeah. I mean three children of that age was quite hard yeah. but on and off yeah she worked I mean my mum's a really inspiring woman yeah she went to university to you know and worked towards a degree in that time um what? with three of us oh my God. single single parentingly yeah wow. incredible she also um became a student nurse um she poor thing like was literally about to move from being student nurse to qualified and had a terrible accident at work and ended up slipping, like, her discs and, like, literally paralysed-type slipping discs and then was on bed rest forever and then had to give up her nursing career. That was really tragic. 
Yeah, but she showed me that something that you want, if you want something, you can work towards it regardless of... Yeah. You know, she did instill in me, I guess, quite a good work ethic in that in that respect. God, yeah, she must have been so driven. Yeah, she is very driven. And she's so intelligent. Like, when I compare myself to her, I'm not that kind of intelligent. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, My mum's yeah. book smart. Yeah. Real smart. Like, she can really apply herself. She's academic. She's a great debater. You know, she's, uh, yeah. And she was a really progressive thinker for yeah. her time, yeah? So we were brought up in a really liberal household. You know, it wasn't unusual to, you know, my mum, you know, my mum would have gay friends around. My uncle was gay. Like, it was not a thing. Yeah. In comparison to, at the time, a lot of the thought belief patterns that my friends were perpetuating yeah. in their households, that was like the opposite in my house. Yeah, yeah. You know, my mum challenged us on everything, racism, you know. Um, and my mum's mixed race as well, so it was all this interesting kind of, we didn't know where she was from kind of. And that's another story. I can come to that. Yeah. yeah it's an <laughs> incredible story, I can tell you in a bit, uh, about my, my heritage and my yeah. mum's heritage. Um, but, yeah, so we kind of, yeah, grew up with quite an inspiring mum, actually, on reflection. Gotcha. Yeah. But also I can understand how that would have been hard as a child to have that as your mum. Even yeah. though it's amazing and all the good things as you've got older and realised, yeah. but as a kid. Oh my God, yeah. yeah. Like all I wanted was a mum that yeah. stayed at home and baked cakes. Yeah. Yeah, and was like mumsy. I just wanted a mum, a dad, and everything to be normal, to live yeah. in a house that looked normal, that had things from Argos. Yeah. You know what I mean? It yeah, was like, yeah. that's all I wanted really. But I was instead surrounded by inspiring people, you know. Yeah. So my auntie was pretty amazing as well. Like, she was, yeah, like, so hardworking and, you know, in relationships on and off that were really bad for her, like, quite violent, actually, <laughs> oh, at times. God. That was quite hard to see. But also a really driven individual. And, like, she had her own home and she worked hard and she bought things for herself. And she kind of showed me that, okay... I don't have to, she didn't have children. Like, I don't have to fit this mould. Yeah. I can go to work, I can make my own money, I can have my things I like. So I think I took bits from my mum and bits from my aunt as role models and kind of, you know, I've, they've, I can see both of them in me this yeah. like today, you know, and I'm like, I'm really proud of those parts. So I was really sort of surrounded by a lot of inspiring, strong women. And also my uncle was super cool, you know, like as a gay man, my mum... And my aunt used to tell these stories of, like, you know, Beckenshaw Avenue, Dagnum, and, like, my uncle in the glam rock era walking down Beckenshaw Avenue in, like, red velvet flares and a red velvet cape. Yeah. You know, like, completely flamboyantly, <laughs> not giving a fuck yeah, yeah. about who thought he might be queer, you know, yeah. and, like, owning it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like, left school pretty much illiterate, and then worked his way into being a solicitor with his own practice. Wow. So, like, what an incredible man, you know. So I had a lot of an incredible role Where modelling. Where did they get their drive from? Who knows? Like, that is such a fascinating story about their heritage. So, you know, growing up... So my mum and her brother were the youngest, yeah. and they clearly were born of a different father to the rest of the children in the family. Yeah. So my mum's mum passed away when she was 15, I think. Okay. Yeah, and my aunt kind of tried, I think, to step into that, I guess, maternal figure 
to the best of her abilities, they had their own problems, like as sisters, you can yeah. imagine. Yeah. Um, but the yeah, there was always this kind of, oh, like what's that all about? You know, like why are they dark skinned? And my mum and her brother, well, my mum in particular, talks about she was subjected to a lot of racism growing up in Elephant and Castle, Bermondsey. Yeah. At that time, so you know, she was born in fifty six. So it was rife racism. It was yeah. everywhere, you know, and she was chased down the street being called, you know, horrible. I'm not even going to say the words, yeah, yeah, but like yeah. awful racist names. And, you know, she was like this little olive skinned, curly head. She looked different. Yeah. And even from her own family, she was subjected to racism. Like she was dancing at a party party once and someone was like, oh, well, we all know why she's a good dancer, don't we? Implying it's because she was mixed race, you know, or part black, as they would say. And so, yeah, mum, you know, mum and Uncle Gary, they had that kind of, that was going on. And then, but the happy part of this story is that we never really knew. And then we, we stood out, my sisters and I, we never really looked English. Yeah. Like, when I look at myself now, when I look at the melting pot that is the world, yeah. I think I look like just a white woman, yeah? But yeah. growing up in Dagnum, we definitely didn't look like we fitted in with, like, the general Blondarian types yes. that lived yeah, around yeah, there. Yeah. And so I was constantly subjected to, you know, we didn't have mousse then to make your hair curly yeah. or blow dryers to make your hair smooth. So we, I was like a frizzy-haired, kind of olive skinned looking little weirdo yeah? yeah and my sisters were super curly corkscrew head too so yeah and my mum was dark skin and people would blatantly go well where are you from then you know yeah. you're not english and so this feeling of not knowing was always there my whole life so did her, your mum never know her dad so my mum had no, well she thought she knew her dad because her older sister's dad was passed off as her dad and gary's dad but he clearly wasn't their dad yeah because they were dark skinned and it was never spoken about. It was clearly like this shameful secret. And I oh think that my, my nan, Nanny Olive, was shunned by her family. And I think part of her moving out to Dagenham from South East London was because they'd just cut her off. So before they ended up in Dagenham, they'd been in and out of poor houses and like yeah. they were properly, brutally on the front line of like yeah, poverty. Yeah. And then, you know, they moved out and. Um, yeah, for years, that it was never really sort of spoken about. My, my auntie and I, she passed away a few years ago, but one of the things that we used to do to bond, she was, I was very close to her, and one of the things we used to do is we used to look at the old photos in the tin, the Oxo tin, yeah. and she'd tell me stories about the past. And one on one of those occasions, God, it would have been a good, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago now, um, I was there and she was telling me a story about this man that used to come to visit and he would bring sweets for Gary or a toy for her, you know, and he was a very debonair kind of dark skinned Mediterranean or, you know, North African looking man. Yeah. Um, and she said, Oh, his name, she thought his name was Ember Manning. And it was just kind of bizarre how she could remember this name. And, yeah. and so that story kind of, and she said she suspected that he was basically Gary's dad and mum's dad. Yeah. Uh, because he used to come round and then Nanny Olive used to disappear upstairs with him for a bit and then, lo and behold, mum popped out a little bit later. So this is my aunt's recollection of it. Yeah. So that was kind of all I knew. And then I was reading an autobiography of uh, a famous artist 
and she spoke of how her dad had basically sired lots of children by many, many different women. And the, the, there were kids all over South East London and he was like a property owner. And actually one of the things my auntie had said is she wondered if Nanny Olive was paying the rent because they were so poor she wondered if actually, you know, it was a way for her to make it, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. make the rent, basically, yeah. was to sort of give this man sex. Yeah. So, fast forward, I'm kind of reading this autobiography, and, yeah, this woman talks about her father uh, being this philanderer, yeah. basically, a maker of babies, and his name's Enver, and his surname's Emin. So I said to my auntie, what do you think of this? I said, can you imagine? This is like, there's this man in this book, this, this, this basically Tracy Emin's dad, yeah? Oh, my God. So I said, do you think it could be, like, connected? And Jean was like, oh, em Ember Manning, Ember Emin. Yeah, absolutely. I could have got it switched around in my head. So I told my mum at the time, and she was like, hmm. And my mum's got one toe that's shorter than the others. And she was like, if we get a look at her toes, we'll know. Because she probably got it from her dad. Like, that was the joke side of it. But actually, I mentioned it to another friend who happened to know Tracy's publicist. And said, why don't you see if, I'll pass, if she'll pass a letter to her for you? Yeah. So I did write a letter at the time to to Tracy and say look you know I know this is sensitive and yeah. I apologise if it's offensive but I'm reaching out we don't know who my mum's dad is and yeah. actually this there's this question mark in our lives yeah. about our heritage and I'd really appreciate if you would be willing to to get in touch and she she never responded yeah so fast forward and myself my daughter we did an ancestry test yeah you know like the ancestry DNA yeah yeah, yeah. Um, my only regret about this is that my auntie wasn't alive to to under to see it all come to be. I'm sure she knows, like in spirit. Yeah. But so we did the ancestry DNA test, and I got my, my I mean my daughter. She's mixed race, like mixed her, hers is incredible, you know. But that's yeah. another story. But the yeah, the match came back with these people, these Emmins, and I was like, oh. And then I started to get pursued by somebody via messages saying, I think you're related to my daughter, this 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 young lady. You must be cousins or something. Yeah. Um, and anyway, um, as a gift to my mum, I said, look, mum, are you interested in yeah. doing this? But I didn't still kind of, I just thought, oh, it's a coincidence, it's Emin. Yeah. It's not, obviously not the Emins, yeah. like of Tracy Emin, for instance. Um but it kind of, the question mark was kind of closing down a bit in that I thought, oh, I must be Turkish then, or, you know, yeah. that makes sense, some North African whatever. Um, anyway, so when my mum then did the test, I bought her one as a gift, and she then got messaged as well. And basically, that the whole net connected and closed, all the dots connected, and she basically is sired by Tracy Emin's dad. So she's now one of... I think there were like 20, 22 or 23 of them. Clean hell. Yeah. It's a really crazy thing. And actually, to be fair to her, she's kind of working her way through the feelings around that. You can imagine how difficult that is for my mum. I don't know much about Tracy Emin's past. I mean, I know of her work mm. and I know 
of some of the traumas and stuff. But yeah. did she was she aware of what her dad was like? Yeah. So I think what's fascinating about it, the more so. I always had such a fascination with Tracy. I mean, anyway, yeah. like I was a big follower of her work. I'd go and see all of her shows and that's why I was reading her autobiography. Yeah, yeah. It's unusual for me to do so. So that was a, an interesting kind of inclination. Um, she, her and her twin brother were actually the second family, if that makes sense. So yes. I think Enver had a number of families that he actually supported as well. So he was married to... So I've actually now connected with my Uncle John and had a really lovely long chat with him. Um, and he's a really lovely man. And he's desperate to meet my mum. But yeah. my mum's kind of not in that headspace at the moment. I yeah. think she's angry, understandably, at yeah. being abandoned by this man who yeah. knew he had children. Um, so, yeah, Tracy and her brother were basically like the the secret fact like, you know they, they were the second one that no everyone knew about but nobody t talked yeah. about yeah and i think that her mum found it really challenging that enver was how he was yeah. and so tracy's kind of got this commitment that she just doesn't go there and i think yeah, yeah. from what i can what i understand from other connections within the family now she doesn't entertain it and i guess yeah that's her choice yeah, you know yeah, i, I yeah. respect that completely you know it can't be easy especially with her public profile yeah you can imagine how it would be. So wow. I just find it fascinating that... And and beyond that, actually, what happened for me, in the week that I found out and I had that conversation with my uncle, I mean, I, I was so grateful to my mum for allowing me to, you know, not that she could have stopped me in a, in a sense, yeah, but yeah. for respecting that I had a need to explore this. Because what I found was... It was just like a piece of the jug jigsaw kind of slotted into place and I felt like I'd come home a bit more to myself. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, because yeah. when you grow up not knowing, yeah, it just leaves this like little hole, you know, yeah. of like, well, who am I? And I think I'm so proud now to know that I've got this like Turkish separate blood. Yeah. And actually it goes back even more beautifully to like Sudan. So, like, the family heritage that I now understand from my paternal or grandfather's line... Yeah. Um, sorry, my grandfather's line, um, via my mother, is, like, so rich and incredible that I'm so proud of that, yeah. you know. And that is way better as a kind of a, yeah. a jigsaw piece than, well, I don't know who I am. Yeah. I don't know why I had frizzy hair, you know. <laughs> it's nice. Yeah. It feels good. Um, wow, isn't that amazing that you can find all that out? It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Via a, you know, spit test, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It is incredible. Yeah. And what a, a mad coincidence that you were reading. That well, and then is there any such thing it? as coincidence? Well, yeah. Yeah, because if, you, if I look back now, I think, wow, because everything, like, just... It was like the universe was trying to align and nudge me in that direction, but it's like... In spite of my actions, trying to pursue it, for some reason it wasn't meant to be, you know. Yeah. But reading the book, following her work, having the friend who had the publicist friend of hers, yeah. sending the letter, you know, um, all of it is crazy. Um, and also, oh. what is crazy is my uncle bought a house in Cyprus. So, and it was right on the border between, you know, like the Turkish yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. So he kind of bought it in their civil war, thinking it might end up bombed to bits. Yeah. And I think they'd gone back after the civil war, 
um, like they bought it for like a song kind of yeah. thing. And when they got back, he just had a couple of broken windows, and they got off like this amazing property. But he had such an affinity with that country, yeah. And it must have been him being drawn, yeah, to the yeah. place. So I've never visited Cyprus. Oh really? Um, Napa? No, no, I've never been to Napa. It wasn't my scene, like the garage, the speed garage. No thanks. I'm more of an Ibiza girl. Um, but yeah, so I, I need to go visit. Yeah. You know, I need to go because, yeah, like whenever I've been to Greece, I've always felt that kind of affinity, yeah. like they're my people. I like people talk to me in like the local tongue because they're like, you look yeah. Mediterranean. So my sister's married to a Greek Cypriot guy, right? And funnily, her eldest daughter Angelica is now with a Turkish Cypriot, yeah. Like, descendant yeah so, yeah her grandparents aren't too happy oh wow it's crazy <laughs> it's, that yeah, stuff that goes back yeah, doesn't yeah. it but it's beautiful cyprus and yeah. greece they're lovely yeah they are yeah oh. yeah so crazy story oh, but yeah. yeah so and so just the beginning of that story too really you know because yeah. what i've said to my mum is if i felt this sense of coming home to myself can you imagine what that might do for you yeah you know like to explore this and connect with these people but, you know, as I say, she's in her anger. Yeah, that's... And she's in a process, and I've got yeah. to respect that. Yeah. So... And what you want... I think what I will do is meet my uncle. Yeah. You know, and I will explore that with him. Um, yeah, because that feels like it's, it's calling... That's a calling yes. yeah. that I have to do that. So I will do that, and if my yeah. mum wants to be a part of it, great. Yeah. Fascinating, though. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. I've got a friend who is adopted... Right. And she's never ventured down that road. Mm. And I just, for me, I'd have to know. I mean, she's kind of got bits and pieces. Her mum and dad adopted her before she was born. You wow. know, it was a, yeah. her, her birth mother was very young. Yeah. I think her dad, I believe he was a soldier stationed over here. And he was from, like, Jordan, that wow. kind of area. Um, but she, I think... She was thinking about it, but then she went to Australia for a year when she was, like, 18. Mm. And just kind of thought her family were her family. Yeah. And she didn't really want to venture any further. Yeah. Because she didn't feel the need to, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah, but I'm always just like, oh, but I just have to know. Yeah, and I think, again, it goes back to that natural kind of searching part of me, that inquisitive part of me that's always wanting to go yeah. deeper and find out. And that not everybody's like that, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah you have to just... Yeah, that, that is just, yeah. yeah but I'm not going to shame myself for being that that is who yeah, I am yeah. and like that's who you are that's cool too so yeah wow. yeah yeah I love that I yeah. just yeah and this has all happened this year oh really you know finding that out it's oh been quite God. crazy towards the end of last year I got the emails and then this connection with my uncle has happened this year and it's quite beautiful because you know my mum has now lost her sister, my aunt, yeah. who was really close to. Her brother died in 91 of HIV, like of AIDS. Yeah. So it's incredible. Like, she now yeah. has this huge family, like, and they're all around the world, yeah. <laughs> apparently. Like, he dipped his stick everywhere he went, did Ember. Um, so it's wow. kind of, yeah, it's Is quite a alive? fascinating... No, unfortunately not, no. I'm sure he would have been quite a character. Can you imagine? Yeah, and there are lots, you know, what is beautiful is there are lots of photographs of him and because the, you know, he was my Uncle John's dad and he was yeah. a present father, you know, for yeah. him, he was a very present figure in his life. He was consistently there. It was almost like everybody just, oh, they knew what he was like and they all tolerated it. Yeah. 
God, can you imagine having that Insane. in a though? No, thank you. I'm all right with, yeah. like, I've got one and a stepdaughter <laughs> who I adore. But, like, no, I would never want to have that many children. Yeah. But I guess he wasn't left holding the children, no. clearly. Yeah. But I suppose it's more yeah. having that many kids and just not knowing, like, you could walk past one in the street and you wouldn't. I mean, it sounds to me like he was probably a sex addict. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very much yeah, so. Yeah, you know, um, because the first connection that was made to my mum, actually, was somebody who is also her half-brother, but isn't Tracy's brother, but another Paul. And he was fathered by him, and it's like... But he was brought up with a mum and dad, thinking they were his parents, Italians, but then it... Via this DNA test, he found out they're not his mum. So you can imagine, wow. like, the ripples of this man's yeah. activities, you know, the disregard almost for the what is going on out yeah. there. But, you know, yeah. Crazy. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, growing up then, what did you do? What were you into? Oh, my God. Um, I was so creative. I was a real creative kid. I was constantly, like, reading, had my book, you know, I was a real bookworm, and I was, like, a real kind of escapist in my head. Yeah. Um, you know, growing up growing up as we did, it was there was a lot going on, you know, there was quite a lot of crazy stuff going on, like, with my dad not being around, and, yeah, my mum struggled with some, maybe some mental health issues and yeah. things like that, I guess. And so my escape was, yeah books and drawing and sewing and like just being a real little creative bunny um and then sort of into teenage years I guess it was the usual stuff drugs yeah <laughs> <laughs> so as soon as I was old enough it was like going over the park getting hammered yeah um yeah like BMXing with the boys um yeah and then you know when kind of boys came on the scene um yeah, that's when things kind of all went downhill, really, for me. Um, oh, God, I feel, I feel the need to share this now. But um, when I was... Um, that's really strange, because I can't remember if I was 14 or 15. But I think it would have been sort of in that period, just turning 15. So I, on one of the occasions, I'd quite innocently gone to a party, was raped by a um, school friend. Fuck! who I found out years later had gone with the sole intention of getting me drunk enough to be able to rape me. Oh, so, my God. Yeah. And that, I think, was quite a life-changing moment for me as a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking hell. Yeah. Was he in your So he was year? in my year. He was in my circle of friends. Um, and he wasn't somebody I would ever fancied you know or wanted to snog or yeah. um but yeah he yeah he took that from me so basically it was a strange Fuck. i'd gone to this party i knew him and a couple of other boys were going there was I, there's genuinely no flirtation there as far as i can recall um between him and i yeah but I do remember getting absolutely hammered, and I don't know how I got so hammered. Did he drug you? I don't know. But if he didn't drug me, he definitely drank me into yeah, yeah, oblivion. Yeah. And then there was... where Going back to my mum's, um, so we cut through the park to get back. Yeah. And he 
so there, there was another boy there with him and then there was my friend there and like he basically just hung back like this part of the park I played there for years yeah. so it's like to now recall it as the place where he raped me yeah. is kind of bizarre really but he kind of pulled me back on this grass verge and they were around the corner my friend and his friend and and he raped me and I remember saying no, but I was so paralytic. They were yeah. holding me up. That's how paralytic yeah, yeah, I was yeah, all the yeah. way home. But I was just like, I couldn't do anything. Yeah. Um, and so what was strange about And then I remember them getting me home and I think I was sick, you know, like yeah. getting me home and me trying to sober up enough to go indoors and and then getting indoors and like no one really said anything about how drunk I was. I think it was just like, oh God, she's really drunk. Put her to bed. Don't say anything about it. Yeah until the morning or whatever and I didn't process really what had happened yeah. if that makes sense yeah, yeah. um and when I went back to school on the Monday so say that's the Saturday and I went yeah. back to school on the Monday he basically just told everyone that he'd had consensual sex with me so it was almost like that was what everyone thought so I didn't get an opportunity really to identify anything differently yeah. had happened um did you question it? I think in my own mind I knew it wasn't consensual sex because I'd said no yeah 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 and then but the insane thing is and this is like go back to that conditioning kind yeah. of thing I I think I'd learned that to say no was it didn't matter anyway yeah like they yeah. were going to take whatever they wanted yeah and then what was awful was for him then to go around school to his peers and to my mutual friends saying, oh, she's a really good shag, kind of put me in this category of being easy or whatever it yeah. was, shame, because it's very liberal now. Like, girls are more empowered to have sex if they yeah. want to, to a degree. Uh, I still think it's harder for girls to it be is. sexually liberated at, at the teenage years. Yeah. However, back then, you know, I was just kind of branded a slag. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and then, you know, I ha actually had had consensual sex by that time with a boyfriend. Yeah. Um, so, I guess, yeah, like, it was a confusing time for me. Yeah. And actually, it was only ten years ago or so, like, eight years ago or so, when I started to go through my step work yeah. in my recovery process, that... I talked about the things that had happened to me when I was drunk or yeah. had been using drugs. And I said to my sponsor, and, you know, I got so drunk that I let this happen to me. And she said, Claire, you were raped. Yeah. And it was such a relief, yeah. <laughs> like, to be told that. Yeah. Because I had carried so much shame around that incident from, what, the age of, well... Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd carried that for like 24 yeah. years, something like that. And what I see now is that incident changed the entire trajectory of my life. Yeah. Like, I think it, it made me straight. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it made me be a straight woman. Yeah. Because I think I was curious at the time. But what it did was it, I think it's like if you want to create a blueprint Someone said this to me the other day, like, abuse or sexual um, assault is like a blueprint for heterosexuality in some ways. It's like, 
because that happened, it was like I then had to prove I was lovable. Yeah. And I went through this process. When that happened, because everyone was saying I was a slag anyway, yeah. I got promiscuous. Yeah. I yeah. just didn't have any regard for myself. Yeah. I thought, what's the point of saying no? They're going to take it anyway. Yeah. So actually, I did become a bit of a slag, yeah. if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, I mean, in, in the big scheme of things now, when I look back, I think, yeah, Claire, yeah. you really were. Yeah, yeah. Like, you were just desperately seeking love yeah. and approval. yeah. yeah. And, you know, with no positive role modelling of men around me at home, I feel like, yeah, that kind of... I was left to fill in the gaps. Yeah. And so, yeah, I... How I solved that, you know, so for a year, I kind of didn't have any boundaries, healthy boundaries. But then what I did was when I was 16, I met someone uh, and I ended up in a very serious relationship and I left home at 16 and I moved out and ended up living with this guy between 16 and 19 yeah we ended up buying a house together at 18 I had my my first mortgage with him it just kind of but what it did was it did change the trajectory of my life because I think I had to um prove that I was lovable I had to kind of recreate relationships with men that weren't like that one yes yeah, to yeah. prove that it was yeah. okay and I wasn't damaged. Yeah. So that, I think, was definitely one of the patterns. I think it made me move away from the area I grew up in. So I left established friendships behind. I left my family behind. And I moved what felt like a million miles yeah. away to Brentwood. Yeah. yeah, like it was like back then, that was like miles yeah. away. Yeah, yeah. So I moved to Brentwood and ended up buying this flat with this guy. And actually, at the time, I look back, like it was quite controlling. Yeah. Yeah, but gave me that security. Yeah. And I basically just pretended that part of my life didn't exist when yeah. all of that stuff happened. So, it, yeah, it just, that's it. Then I was off on a trajectory, you know, of that's what, where I was going instead of... Wow. And it was, yeah. Do, have you ever talked to the guy or do you no. know what he's doing now? So what's fascinating is there was a school reunion a few years after that incident. And actually I did go, bizarrely. So I think I would have been in my early 20s and I saw the other boy who was there and he actually made an amends to me. Like he, he pulled me aside towards the end of the night and he said, I need to say sorry to you because I should never allowed him to do that to you because that was his plan all along. And I knew it and I can't believe I let him do that to you and I've never really been able to live with myself. And I remember at the time just saying to him, oh, it's all right, don't be silly. Like, I was kind of still in so much shame and denial yeah, that I didn't yeah. acknowledge yeah. even then that he was telling me that had happened. Yeah, Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah. I still carried it as my own shame for many years after that. But I do feel grateful to that individual for doing that for me. Yeah. And I do hope that he has forgiven himself yeah. uh, for that. Um and with regards to the perpetrator yeah. of it, I hate him yeah. for what he did. Yeah. He's a rapist. Yeah. And what I have done is I have looked at him on Facebook yeah. and I've toyed with the idea of pursuing it. And I fantasised about yeah. messaging his wife yeah. and saying, do you know you're married to a rapist? You know, and I've gone through all these scenarios yeah. in my head. And I thought about messaging him and saying, "You, what you did to me it was wrong, and you need yeah. to understand and live with that." You, you know, and he got kids. He's got children. He got yeah. girls. 
I don't know. I think he's got sons, from okay. what I can remember. Sorry, I can't. I think no, no, he might have a son and a daughter, and all of these scenarios, yeah. yeah, have gone through my head. But could you do anything now? Could you go to the police now? I guess or I could, it... but what would be the point? Is that well, going to benefit me to put myself through that? Before, isn't it? They still don't fucking do anything, do they? So... No. And how, how I've healed myself in this situation is to talk about it yeah. openly and start owning the, you know, the incident and yeah. calling it out for what it was. Yeah. Um, and to forgive myself for yeah. being that, that girl who was allowed, you know. It's fascinating, really, though, because I see how it shapes how I am as a parent towards my daughter because my fear and my recollection of what happened to me I can project that onto my daughter. Yeah. And it can really cloud my judgment around the choices she makes for herself. Yeah. And I've had to really work hard, you know, to like yeah. really allow her to have her own experiences. Yeah, yeah. You know, without yeah. projecting on, you're going to get raped. Yeah. <laughs> and actually how we've done that is I've spoken to her openly about what happened to me. Yeah. Um, you know, and her response is, well, I'm not going to go to a party and get so drunk that I'm going to let, you know, and I, we all say that. But she knows about, you know, what I've tried to do is just, she's more, she's definitely more aware yeah. than me, than I was, I guess. And isn't it that, that we have to think about what we have to do to protect yeah. ourselves, yeah. rather than it being, why the fuck are we having to protect ourselves from yeah. their behaviour? Exactly. You know? Isn't that terrible? Yeah. It's like, well, I won't, I just won't get that drunk. Yeah. It's like, what she should get is drunk because she fucking wants to Yeah, she exactly. Back, you know? Yeah, but, but I think she knows to choose wisely the company she keeps. Yeah. You know, and ultimately, one in four women are victims of sexual assault, rape, abuse. We are all going to be touched by this at some point yeah. in our lives. Yeah. That isn't an isolated incident for me. God you know, no. there's definitely other stuff that happened to me when I was younger. And it's not clear to me, but there were weird flashbacks. So I already, yeah. the blueprint had been set from a very young age. Yeah. For me, that it wasn't, you know, there was no point in saying no. Yeah. Even though I did, yeah. and it was ignored. So I do find it sad but at the same time i've liberated myself from that yeah sadness that self-pity that yeah i don't want to be in a shame cycle around yeah. it yeah so i i own it now yeah you know and even that like saying yeah i did become a bit of a slag you know like i never would have admitted that i was in total denial about my promiscuity yeah for years you know but i'm really grateful really to being in recovery and having yeah. that process of working through, you know, in that step four that we do that moral inventory thing. Yeah. So we write a list of everything that's kind of been done to us that we've done. Yeah. And we unpick it with the help of somebody else. And then we see things for what they really are because the story we tell ourselves in our head is very often not the truth. Yeah. But we've, you know, as I say, I'd carried that for 20 odd years, believing that I deserved that, that I'd made that yeah. happen. Yeah. You know, so yeah. Uh, what is the benefit of that? Because when you said the net, when you went to school and that's what he'd said, mm. so then you're like, okay, well it was my fault because I got too drunk and maybe you know you do immediately yeah. take on that. Oh, it, it was my fault then. But why? That must serve a purpose. Thinking that way. Yeah. So I think when you think about the way I see it is, if you think about fight or flight. Yeah. So there are other stages within fight or flight. So what I've learned is there's kind of fight, which is, you ain't going to rape me, I'm going to yeah. have you, you know, and you're going to knock them out. And then there's kind of run, yeah. yeah? But there's also this thing called fawn. Yes, yeah. And fawn is, 
interesting because I guess what happens is in fawn you almost become complicit yeah because then you almost de-victimize yourself yeah so it's almost like I'm going to let you do this to me because then I don't have to admit that I've been raped and you've hurt me yes so I think that actually I realized now was probably the response pattern I was in so yeah. you don't have to deal with the trauma. Yeah. The fact that you were right, actually. Yeah. You just lay it Just can stay in the denial. Yeah. 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 Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Boys. Yeah. Men. But you think, I mean, I've never been raped. Right, good. But I've definitely had sex when I've not wanted to. Yeah. I felt like I've had to or it was like, oh, I might as well. Because you don't want to yeah. deal with the saying no. Yeah. Yeah, because you just never know what way it's going to go. Yeah. I mean, my pattern after that was to be in long-term relationships. So, like, yeah. I became a serial monogamist. Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> so, my first sort of relationship was 16 to 19. And then I had a bit of time to myself. And then I think I met someone sort of 21 to 28, and I was with him for seven years. You know, and they've been long-term relationships. Yeah. And then my daughter's father I met, and we were together for 15 years. Wow. So I've really been in this. And when I say it set a trajectory for my life, that's what I mean. It like really set me up to, you know, it was either, it was like promiscuity or this, you know, like monogamous relationship. There was no in between because I was never going to be, I never understood, you know, these liberated, these incredible liberated sexually empowered women that are able to have casual sex and still feel good about themselves. Yeah. That weren't for me. Yeah. That wasn't part of my story. Yeah. And uh, because I'd been traumatised in that scenario. So, yeah, I wasn't going to re-traumatise myself by trying to have casual fun sex with anybody. And on a couple of the occasions that I actually did in an adult phase between those monogamous relationships, I hated it. Oh, really? Hated it. Really? I didn't feel empowered at all. Like, um... Yeah, obviously I could I can enjoy sex, yeah. but I didn't feel um yeah, it left me full of shame and feeling yeah. bad about myself. That's the truth. Yeah. Um so yeah. And I again I'm about connection, relation, you know, I I love intimacy. And I think that often those kinds of interactions with other humans, those one night stands, those casual sex they don't give me the intimacy yeah. that I crave in relationships. Yeah. yeah. So I am being more loving to myself when I accept that about myself. Yes. Yeah. And accept that, you know, I'm a monogamist and that's yeah. all right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, I completely understand that. Yeah. yeah. But go for it, girls. If you want to get out there. Oh, God, yeah. And shag your way through life, like, yeah. all power to you. Yeah. As long as you're keeping your safe, it's consensual, it's mutual, like... I totally respect that. Yeah. I love that yeah. for you, you know, if that's what you want. There's no shame in that. I think, yeah, I've been both. When I up with my ex, it took me a couple of years to get my head around meeting someone else. Mm. But then, basically, I've just had interactions <laughs> over the past however long because that's all I've really had time for. Yeah. And it's been great. Mm. But now I'm at the point where... I want more than that now because I'm not nice. getting the what I want from it. Because yeah. I'm recognising myself actually, I want to be loved. Beautiful. And you don't get that from it. You know, it's not just having a cuddle. Yeah. You well, have you, that then you're getting a connection. And, yeah. 
that works for you, that meets a need, but yeah. sometimes that need will supersede what you're able to get from that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think yeah. too fucking right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if my daughter chose to just be in, you know, a casual situation with people uh, for her life, I'd fully support that. I'm not going to shame anybody. I don't think you have to be married or in long-term relationships or even like monogamous you know it's like be polyamorous do whatever you want to do as long as you're all consenting exactly and having fun with it and staying safe then fill your boots why would you not want to have as much fun as possible no i I completely agree and i I hope i wish that for my daughters as well i just as long as they're doing what they want to do with people that are all happy yeah (laughs) then good luck to you yeah absolutely so when did the issues with alcohol is it alcohol well actually it was more it's everything everything yeah (laughs) but (laughs) it was the thing that kind of i thought i had a problem with was drugs yeah so i think first sort of indication would have been getting super drunk around that stage as a teenager and the consequences came fast and then i think did you drink more than the other than your mates probably yeah yeah i kind of was like a seeking oblivion type Okay, yeah. User of alcohol and drugs. Yeah. Like, so I probably started on the weed then, you yeah. know, straight away, smoking spliffs and stuff from that age. I was a very early starter on the acid yeah. ease. You know, like, I, my coming of age was like 1989. It was the best yeah. time. <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? So I was literally traipsing through fields, going pills. to raves. I did have the good pills, <laughs> yeah. all of the good pills. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also I was like... Yeah, I'm just, you know, part of that seeking the oblivion, I think, is part of my personality of, like, going deeper, looking at what's on the other side. So it was just natural for me to want to transcend, yeah? So, like, I was never a downers type of person. I was always wanting to get high. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I'm all about feeling high and happy and beyond and above. And so, yeah, I was massively into the high that drugs gave me. But also because I guess of the sort of life experiences that I'd had and the fact that I was, you know, effectively I'd bought that flat with him and broken up with, you know, at 18, left him at 19. A lot of our relationship was on the club scene. Like we were just doing a lot of drugs together. Yeah. You know, I'd met him, that first boyfriend, outside. Um, so we'd all gone to the Astoria, you know, the Astoria. Yeah. Um, and then... I'd met, oh no, actually, I met him outside the Astoria because everyone used to go there. There used to be a little tea place. Yeah. But we'd all come out of like another club, like the Milk Bar. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's where I used to go, like at 16. They gave me like an honorary membership, you know, oh, like wow. I was like constantly at the Milk yeah. Bar. And um, yeah, I was like banging to clubbing. That was yeah. my life. Um it's funny, actually, because I watched Human Traffic the other day oh, and I yeah. get so much identification. That <laughs> yeah. was my life, you know, for yeah. so many years. I love that film. Yeah, it's brilliantly done. Um, but, yeah, so I I think the drinking and the drugging, sort of, it started out as fun. Yeah. Obviously, severe consequences at first. Then I reined it in. Yeah. Learned how to have fun with it. Um But, yeah, I was always seeking oblivion. Yeah. And, you know, in the midst of all that, I had eating disorders... I was bulimic, you know, like, and it helped me keep my weight down. Yeah, like, it was multifaceted, yeah, the yeah. reasons that I would use drugs. Um, 
And I never really thought I had a problem. I just thought that's what I did. You know, that's what everyone did well, in yeah, my scene. Exactly, everyone was doing it, weren't that's they? That's what so, we did. We yeah. were just caners, and I was a party girl. Yeah. Um, and I would, was holding down jobs. Like it's yeah. never held me back. I'm a yeah. really highly functioning addict. Yeah. So, I used for twenty four years like that, on and off, like wow. just totally. Did you not have come downs and hangovers? Of course, like there were some moments just... in those 24 years where I was like, oh, I've got to stop, but I never yeah. could stop and stay stopped. Yeah. Like I did manage to stop with my daughter when I was pregnant. Um, but then by the time she was six, sort of six, seven months and I, she was off the boob. Yeah. You know, because I did breastfeed, like, you know, that was one of the things I was like, I'm going to breastfeed and I can't use drugs. Around. But yeah. then as soon as she was off the boob, I'm like, let's get on it. You know, that was just who I was, yeah. you know. Um so, yeah, like, being, I didn't understand about addiction, being an addict. I didn't label any of it that. I used to just call it getting out of my head. Yeah. You know, I was a daily weed smoker. I was a daily drinker. But, yeah. like, socially acceptably, bottle of wine. Yeah. You know, or two. <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe hide one of them. And then when he would come home, I'd be like, oh, I'm just having a glass of wine do you want one but I'd already sunk a bottle do you know what I mean so now when I look back I see I was drinking addictively wow yeah but also you know towards the end the environment I was working in uh was media sales and it was very it just went hand in hand with the environment so I was with a crew of people at work who we just that's what we did to let yeah. off steam you know and it was all about hitting targets on billing day and you know and then we'd go to the pub and have a drink and we'd call it on and we'd get some coke and yeah so i've you know used kind of everything over the years i've never you know i've never used what well, i used to say hard drugs yeah but i've used most drugs you yeah. know um i've never injected but you know i've smoked most things um and there's kind of what i've learned the 12 step fellowship that i'm in we don't differentiate between the drugs. Like alcohol is a drug. Yeah. Everything's a drug, basically. Yeah. And what I've learned now is like even my behaviours can be drugs to me. You yeah. know, even relationships I can use addictively like a drug. You know, like things like food I can become addicted to and use like a drug. Exercise. I've exercised to the point of injury. Yeah. Work. So what I've learned is take the drugs away. Actually, they're my solution. Yeah. <laughs> to me, yeah. I'm the problem. So what I had to do was start to work on me, you know, and like that's a beautiful thing that's occurred in the process of getting clean, wow. yeah. getting sober. And like, we don't say, you know, in the fellowship I go to, we don't use the word sober. We just say we got clean. Yeah. Uh, because it's clean of alcohol, clean of drugs. Yeah. And that for me is truly clean. I gave up smoking. Um, I think I was about, I think it was about 90 days. 90 days clean or six months clean because it was just like the the funniest things were, were happening like for me at the beginning like because in the fellowship I go to as well we sort of establish a, a relationship with a power greater than ourselves yeah. so it might just be meetings it might be um, you could decide what it is it could be your dog do you know yeah. what I mean it doesn't have to be God yeah um, and it isn't, it's like a spiritual, not religious program. We say all of these things and we mean them, you know, like you don't have to become a Christian in yeah. order to become clean in, yeah. the, in the fellowship I go to. And it's like, but what um, what mine was at the beginning was like nature. So like seeing like the leaves blowing on the trees or going 
to you know where the ocean is and seeing the immense power of the ocean and realizing wow that is big and immense and so much bigger than me and actually in proportion to me I am inconsequential like and actually there is something bigger out there and it is taking care of me because that's why I'm still alive in spite of all of these experiences I've had and my efforts to kill myself I'm still ticking you know so it was like at the beginning it was nature and like the smoking is quite a funny thing because I would shamefully sneak outside so when I first got clean my daughter was she would have been what two or three yeah um yeah so what am I 10 years now so yeah 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 she would have been about three so she was in nursery and um yeah so I would sneak outside and have a cigarette and I'd feel so ashamed you know because I didn't want her to see me because I didn't I was aware that she's going to see me smoking and she's probably going to end up smoking yeah so trying my best to be a good parent and I'd go outside and I'd smoke a ciggy and then I'd be like smoking the ciggy and looking at nature my higher power and thinking oh no he's watching me yeah like he's watching me he doesn't want me to do that I'm killing myself my god doesn't want me to kill myself and then these bizarre things started happening to me like um I'd move on to like a lot of people that get into recovery for some reason we end up smoking rollies I don't yeah. know what it is like this badge of honor so I was like rolling a rollie and then attempt to wean myself off of my Marlboro lights yeah. and I'd be rolling a rollie and like a gush of wind came and blew the rollie out of my hand and I was like all right god yeah okay and then another time I'd be outside smoking my ciggy and a drop of rain fell on the end of my cigarette and I was like oh come on and, you know, in the end, it was like, all right, I need to listen here. Like, yeah. my power is yeah. speaking to me. Like, this power, the higher power is speaking to me. So I ended up giving up ciggies, and I've kind of put them in the drugs basket now. I'm like, yeah. nah, like that, everything. So I, I live pretty clean. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I live pretty clean, and uh, thank, I think my body's grateful for it, definitely. Hi. So, yes, that, that's a lovely Claire. Our conversation will continue next week. I hope you're okay after listening to it. Um, But yeah, I hope you're good in general. Everything's a bit weird at the moment, isn't it, still? But uh, up the workers is all I'll say. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please share the podcast. I am kind of getting around to sorting out a Patreon but I've been trying to do this for ages and I said I've bloody done it but I have I am going to do it so I'll tell you all about that when I do actually get around to sorting it out but yeah big love and I'll see you next week bye mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.